0: Welcome to Proven and Probable. I'm your host Maurice Jackson, and joining me today is an advisor to institutional investors on investing in the junior mining companies. His name is Giant Bhandari. Giant, thank you for joining us today.
1: Maurice, thank you very much for having me today.
0: Sir, you have a reputation of being one of the uh, most respected names in the natural resource space. Would you mind sharing with the audience uh, your background, please?
1: Well, I uh, grew up in India, and the reason I uh, left India was because I was sick and tired of the corruption in that country. I moved to Canada about in 2003, and I lived in Canada for about eight years. I started working in the junior mining sector as an analyst for a newsletter writer, Doug Casey, who is still continues to be my philosophical mentor. Uh, then I worked for about six years for, uh, I worked for Duck for about one year, and then I worked for uh, an institutional investor called US Global Investors, Frank Holmes's company for about six years. And for both of these people, I did junior mining company analysis work. I traveled the world for these people, and since leaving Frank Holmes's company, I have continued to do that on my own for the last three or four years now.
0: Yes, I've I've noticed here recently you were in Peru, Vancouver. You've been uh, been quite busy in just the, the calendar year of 2016.
1: I travel more than I ever did before, and that is the necessary part of this job because you have to understand what is happening around the world. You have to go and look at these projects. You have to look at how these economies actually work. So traveling is a necessary part of what I do.
0: Now you mentioned traveling around the world. Um, Why is it paramount for investors to be aware of geopolitical events and demographics as it applies to supply and demand in the natural resource space? Because I always find it astounding when speaking to investors how most of their concerns are germane only to the United States and they don't recognize that we live in a global economy. I think the ignorance of these factors and the lack of reasoning can have duplicitous effects on their uh, portfolio. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely, And but again, you have to understand that Americans are intellectually very honest people, so they accept that they, as a society, is very inward-looking, but absolutely every society in the world is very inward-looking, uh, and they are more inward-looking than uh, people in America are. So for example, in India, every foreigner is considered a person from London. When you go somewhere, (laughs) foreign is synonymous with London to to them. So if you asked them where Washington were, they would not know. So really, uh, Americans are self-critical, but this is a problem everywhere in the world. However, if you want to do anything that requires an understanding of the future, and you can't really predict the future, but if you want to attempt projecting the future, trying to understand what might happen into the future, uh, when it comes to career opportunities or with investing, you have to really understand what's happening around the world, particularly when what might happen in other countries can affect what you are working on so if i am let's say in copper space i should try to understand what's happening in democratic republic of congo because that's where some of the best copper projects are if i if i am in information technology probably it does not really matter what happens in democratic republic of congo because that country doesn't really do much in it sector so trying to have Understanding the world is an extremely important part of trying to to understand what might happen into the future. You will still be wrong, but that's the best you have got.
0: Absolutely. You know, you and I were talking offline earlier, and you had mentioned iron ore uh, as another example. Would you mind sharing that with the audience as well?
1: Well, I was. You know, you uh, anyone who wants to invest in iron ore should again go to some of the major areas where iron ore is produced. And if you go to Pilbara area of Northwestern Australia, you understand that trying to mine iron ore, let's say in Canada or maybe in Ukraine, might make absolutely no sense, particularly if you are producing that iron ore for export purposes. So one company in Canada, uh, let's say might produce, might, go into production at a cost of $60 per tonne of iron ore. Now, if Australia can produce the same iron ore for $20 a tonne, and if they can produce whatever volume the world wants, there is no way for you to compete with those people. So, it is very important to understand that while iron ore prices, let's say seven or eight years back, were very high, but anyone who, who knew what was happening in northwestern Australia could project that iron ore prices were not sustainable at $150 a ton. They knew that they would fall back to some, much lower than $100 per ton, a price at which many Canadian iron ore operations are not economical so those projects should never have been financed
0: and that sounds somewhat similar to the, the uh, what we're experiencing right now in oil whereas uh you know the the us's ability to produce oil and now that uh, we realize their um the their cost really to sustain themselves is roughly around is it's between 70 60 to 80 dollars and uh, they won't be able to sustain themselves more or less than a year from now if the price of oil continues to remain low so it's, I think what you're saying is, is don't listen to the salesmanship or the propaganda of a company, but just step back and take a 10,000 foot level and look at the fundamentals of something. As, as you just mentioned here, is that probably a good way of to uh, uh, summarize what you just mentioned there?
1: Uh, absolutely. And um, companies do propaganda because they get away with it. The reason they, why they get away with that is because. Investors invest in something they don't really understand. So the most important thing is that if you want to invest in something, spend time, try to understand what you're doing, otherwise it makes no sense to invest in that thing. You're playing, you're doing no better job than playing in a casino.
0: Point well taken. Now in your traveling, uh, when you're looking at companies, you're actually focusing more on the junior mining companies, correct?
1: Absolutely. That's the only thing I focus on.
0: Okay. Now, in your understanding and application of the aforementioned concepts we just discussed, would you like to share how investors could benefit from the methodology you employ via arbitrage, uh, specifically in the junior mining sector, as a key strategy in your portfolio, as you made, um, you know, you're one of the most respected names in the natural resource space. Uh, You know, why does arbitrage appeal to you? But if I may, before we begin that, it sounds uh, I know I'm a little... Uh, sound a little convoluted here, for the audience members that are not familiar with the concept of arbitrage and optionality and takeover, could you briefly give just a, a, some simple definitions for them?
1: Sure. Um, so what has been happening, Maurice, for the last three or four years in the junior mining sector is that a consolidation is in progress in this sector, which means that company A would make a bid on company B. They would want to acquire that company and merge with that company. And the reason why they might do that is because it reduces the overall general and administrative costs. There might be some synergies. There might be all sorts of values they can create through the mergers. Now let's say company a offers one share of company a to each shareholder of company b now of course it's usually not 1 is to 1 ratio it you but you can do the math i'm mm-hmm. just explaining the principles here so if company a offer one offers one share of company a to each shareholder of company b and let's say company a is trading at dollar $1, 1 and company b is trading at dollar 50 cents 50 cents, you actually have almost a hundred percent upside and arbitrage upside in owning company B because once the merger is over, you will be owning company A and your share price hopefully will be company will be dollar one. Yes, so that is what arbitrage is all about. Now, what I have said is a bit simplistic because you have to foresee what might happen happens once the merger is complete because after the merger if the share price of company a falls then you might not make the profit you anticipate right now you can do many things to make up for it you can buy company b and you can short company a while you do that if you have done enough work on both the companies and you can if you can see that there is some inherent value in owning company B anyway, and if there's inherent value in owning company A as well, then you might actually just buy company B for not only arbitrage opportunity, but also to invest in company A and company B at the same time. So, uh, this is what arbitrage is about. Now, the funny thing is that there is a concept in economics called um, perfect market theory is that correct uh, Maurice or is something like that Yes which basically means that if there's a $10 note lying on the ground it can't be there because were it there someone else would have picked it up. Uh, it is it's, it's a completely useless theorem <laughs> because um, not only arbitrage opportunities exist, they continue to exist. For months after an announcement is made made in made public, why it happens, I have absolutely no clue, because those people who are selling their stock of company B, and those people who are buying company A right now should be thinking, why? what are they doing? Mm-hmm. You should not be selling company B, and I'm going back to the earlier example I, I was giving to you. You should be, You should not be buying company A, you should be buying company B instead. And that's, and I don't, I can never understand why it happens, but I have been going through this for the last four years and it's an amazing way to make money.
0: Point well taken. Would you also share optionality? A brief definition of how you- Well,
1: I am not a big fan of optionality. And so, but let me explain to you what optionality Um, means in this market. What someone might say, let's say there is a project that makes um, uh, gold at a $1,000. And let's say gold is trading at $1,100, which means that the profit that this company makes is about $100 per ounce of gold. Now, if this, if gold price goes up to one thousand three hundred, which is only about seventeen or eighteen percent increase in gold price, what happens is that it's anticipated that profit that you would make would go up from hundred dollars to three hundred dollars, which means that your your share price should increase by two hundred percent. All right, so. So while gold price might just go up by 20%, your profit might go up by 200%. So that is what optionality means. And a lot of people invest for that kind of optionality. Now, here's the problem, Maurice, and this is what I have seen again and again. When gold price goes up, the cost of making gold usually goes up. Understanding these numbers becomes an extremely complex affair if you try to invest in a gold equity for optionality in gold price. If you want to do it, you're probably better off trading in futures and options of gold as a commodity. Avoid investing in gold equities for optionality unless you really understand what those specific projects and if you really can understand what's happening in those projects. For example, some of the um, run of the mine heap leach operations, their cost of mining does not actually change much with change in gold price. So there is maybe optionality in those projects, but you have to be very careful when you invest for optionality.
0: And, th- and thank you for making that clarification between the two, because sometimes I hear the terms used as synonyms, and they're not, as you've just clearly pointed out. Um, are there any companies, Giant, that uh, come to mind in this current environment that investors could apply arbitrage to? It?
1: Oh, I can I can tell you. And this is so funny, Maurice, and I, I'm just amazed at the kind of things that happen in the market. So let me tell you about um, – as many companies as you want it's stop me when you want me to stop, but I'll tell you some names here. So there's a company called Kobex Capital. Uh, the ticker is KXM. It's trading for about $0.53. Cents. They have about $0.70 cent in cash per share. Now that offers you about 25% arbitrage upside. The company has promised to either do a deal or return this 68, 70 cent back to the shareholders. So in about one and a half months, you might make 25%. Now, of course, a lot can go wrong. So you have to do your own due diligence. You have to really understand, make sure you cover yourself for risks. But let's go to another company. Sunridge Gold is another company ticker is sgc it's trading at about 27 cents the company is getting sold to a chinese entity which should return which should give you about 35 or more cents in cash this will happen in about in less than 6 months so you if you buy this share for 27 28 cents you you is Position yourself to make about 35 to 40% profit. Now, there's another merger that was announced a couple of days back, uh, Maurice, and that is a merger between a company called VMS Ventures and a company called Royal Nickel. Now, uh, if you look at the they are doing it's a it's a rather complicated deal, but depending on what option you choose in terms of the cash that this company is going to return to you and the shares it's going to offer to you. You can make anything at today's share prices, you can make anything between 20 to 40% arbitrage profit by investing in VMS ventures. Now again, I am amused that people are buying Royal Nickel. They should actually be buying VMS ventures. What is very important here is to understand in a company like VMS Ventures and Royal Nickel to understand the underlying value of these companies because if they are overvalued, if both the companies are overvalued already, you should be buying VMS Ventures and shorting Royal Gold. Let me talk talk about another company called Urgentex Mining, which came out with a merger news yesterday, It's, it's offering to merge with another company called Austral Gold. So Urgentex has a ticker of ATX and Austral Gold ticker is AGD. Now Austral Gold trades in Australia and Urgentex trade in Canada the arbitrage upside is a mind blowing 85%
0: that's amazing it's amazing
1: in this environment now i am not buying these companies though and i'll tell you why um, i don't understand austral gold so ideally i should be bu- because i don't understand understand the underlying value i should be buying Urgentex Mining and I should be shorting Astral Gold, as I explained to you earlier. And if I manage to do that, I fix my arbitrage upside. I fix my arbitrage upside at $0.85. Unfortunately, Astral Gold is very tightly held and you cannot find shares to short in that company. So I'm better off not investing. Very important for me is to preserve my capital. I might not I might lose the chance to make this 60 or 80% upside but I don't want to risk my capital.
0: I think most investors would agree with that sentiment as well. <laughs> How about uh, Helio Resources?
1: Well, I uh, Helio Resources is a very interesting project in Tanzania. It's uh, trading for anything between 2 cent Canadian or 3 cent Canadian. It has it's it's a very interesting project with some high grade rock in that project now this project is about 8 kilometers from an operating mine of a company called shanta gold shanta gold trades in in the uk in my view uh, helio resource the project of helio resources should eventually become a part of shanta gold a merger should happen at some point of time it's a matter of pricing Um, At the current share price of about $0.02 per Helio resource share, Um, I think you should make some profit uh, when the merger happens. should be a multiple of the current share price.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. You know, most uh, experts in Europe, and I'm going to call you an expert because I believe you've you've earned the title. Uh, I know you're a very humble person. You may not feel that way. But uh, for you to share that information with the audience, I know we are all very grateful because most Most experts don't share that information, certainly not uh, uh, simply for just listening. Uh, There's a fee associated with that. So thank you so much from all of us here. I'd like to switch gears here. Uh, I have noticed a common theme among serially successful investors such as yourself in the natural resource space, and that is a shared appreciation for liberty. Now, why do you believe that there is a shared vision and ideology regarding liberty in this, what I would call an elite group of investors to which you belong? I'd like to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Well, I have talked with a lot of socialists in my life, and I'm sure you have done the same thing, Maurice. And within about uh, one to three hours, you can show flaw after flaw after flaw in their thinking. <laughs> yes. Um, and it does not take much time that they. The, the only reason socialism exists is because they don't want to address irrationality in their thought process. Um, And you can challenge them and you you might convince them about irrationality in their thoughts. But next morning, they revert back to their own normal. Uh, Now, the difference is that capitalism is a rational way of living and socialism is immoral and irrational. So uh, uh, any rational way of thinking gives you a rational way of thinking. It positions you to understand future, understand the present more accurately than an irrational person equips himself with. And I think any person who is rational and intelligent eventually comes to a conclusion that free market, liberty, and capitalism is the way society should be run.
0: Well said. Very well said. Would you mind just sharing with the audience for those that may not have the political, may not know that their political ties may be a certain weight, maybe towards socialism versus liberty. Let's, let's try to give an example at least of how government um, from a socialist standpoint, their view is versus our view in liberty.
1: Very important thing is that I don't want to control other people's lives. Now, I don't believe in taking drugs or encouraging prostitution, but it's none of my job, Maurice, what you and other people do with their lives. I might offer as a friend some suggestions if you invite me to, but my job is not to force you to, to live your life my way. But this is what a lot of governments try to do. They want to impose controls on you. They want to impose controls on what you can eat and drink, how you live, how you spend your time. And they actually steal half of what you and I earn as taxes. And they impose horrendous regulatory control on us, which basically means that we are all slaves. And I don't like that kind of state of affairs. Now, uh, maybe some of the things are needed, maybe uh, there are some good things about, uh, as I said, I don't like drugs and I don't like prostitution, but I I have no reason to impose it on other people. I can still make a moral judgment about it. I can still speak about it. And we should all do the same thing. But I have absolutely no reason to impose my views on you.
0: You know, when you mentioned uh, government and how it uh, tries to control, it does so by what we hate the most is probably, which is taxes. In America, uh, one of the challenges we have is we tend to listen to what the media tells us is our largest expense in life, which is a home. That is incorrect. Your largest expense in life, ladies and gentlemen, are taxes. It is not a home. So, uh, that's one of the reasons I began the my views towards liberty in that regard because I was like, you know, taxes is theft. If I were to go to your house giant and I I took a a, a lamp out of your house, I would be arrested. But if the government comes and does it and it calls it taxes is legal. In either situation, you no longer have your lamp <laughs> and, that's well, how-
1: and that's what government is all about today and that is why government is probably, and in my view, the worst institution human beings have created. Uh, It not only steals my wealth, it creates a huge, it has a huge corrupting influence on the society because when they steal money from me, they entrench people who work for the government because they get paid out from their stolen money and they give some of the crumbs to people in, in the society who get entrenched as well. Today, apparently, 50 percent of Americans are dependent, so-called dependent on the government, which means that they are entrenched in this immoral system of stealing from wealth generators. Uh, and that creates a vicious cycle in democracy.
0: And as you mentioned earlier, they're slaves. And this is supposed to be the land of the free. And yet they don't realize it in their day-to-day activities that they're losing their freedom more and more and becoming the slaves that you mentioned earlier.
1: Uh, Maurice, uh, there are many places in the world that are much worse than the U.S. So U.S., yes, these people are indeed slaves and U.S. has many problems and they steal half my wealth in the U.S. But unfortunately, the world is a big slave place. Um, This is the truth in most of the world, unfortunately.
0: That is correct as well. I I made my comments more specific to the United States because I'm a resident here, and this should be the land of the free. We should be the beacon of freedom and and having a, um, a free market, and we see that eroding day by day.
1: Increasingly, it is not the land of the free. (laughs)
0: Before we end today's session, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, discuss your specific contributions to Liberty uh, via your annual seminar, Capitalism and Morality. For those that are not familiar with Capitalism and Morality, could you please tell us about it?
1: Well, I hold this seminar every year. This has been going on for the last seven years now. It is held in Vancouver um, sometime in July in Vancouver and the next one will be on the 30th of July, 2016. It's a philosophy conference, but um, of course, oriented towards the concept of liberty. Um, I invite some of the best known uh, philosophers to come and speak at my seminar. It uh, It is a seminar that promotes the concept of liberty, but mostly I want people to change their paradigms to what is rational, so I'm very hope, open to argumentations and discussion in that that seminar, and it does a lot of good job on a lot of people. A lot of people keep coming back.
0: I've when I was at the Sprout Stansbury conference, where this was uh, your your conference uh, your your seminar was uh, conducted last year, that was one of the uh, the high points I think for everyone there. They were excited to for the last day uh, at the conference to attend the event, and uh, they wanted to see, you had to, name some of the, the guests you had, if you would please, uh, this past year.
1: Well, I usually have my longtime mentor, Doug Casey, as a speaker. Um, Rick Rule, who is a very well-established um, institutional investor, speaks at my seminar. He has been speaking for the last four, five years. Um, Walter, Dr. Walter Block, who is a very famous libertarian, He is often a speaker, Dr. Michael Edelstein, who is a psychologist, he is a usual speaker at my seminar. There was a lady, Rosalind Ross, um, who actually got the highest points among all the speakers, is an absolutely amazing speaker, and she spoke about how to bring up your children. So this is not an activist seminar, it's a philosophy seminar, and we talk about things like how you should raise your children.
0: Yes. If you're not familiar with the work, ladies and gentlemen, it is not dry and mundane. This is something that will get you to really contemplate what is said, and it'll make your mind really consider, you know, your ideology towards whatever you feel right now and question it. And uh, the the speakers are just amazing. If your previous uh, uh, seminars, they are available on YouTube, but I encourage you, uh, there's nothing like actually being in attendance having other like-minded individuals there or individuals that may want to challenge and having a great discussion. And it's not negative, it's, it's just—it's it's very productive. I, I must add on to that, it's very productive. I've, I've enjoyed the work. It's really uh, changed my perspective on a lot of things in my life, personally. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for introducing my seminar, Maurice. <laughs> well, in closing, if somebody
0: wanted to contact you and, and learn more about your work, where can they go?
1: Um, i have a website uh, it's mynameincontinuation.com uh, that is jaiantbhandari.com uh, and i write my i link all my articles and my research reports on that uh, website
0: and, uh, and I, again the the seminar is called capitalism immorality and you can find it again on youtube Giant, it has been a pleasure having you this evening. I look forward to doing more interviews with you in the future. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you for the opportunity, Maurice. appreciate that.
0: Till next time, sir. Thank you. The information presented on Proven and Probable is provided for educational and informational purposes only.